This is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of the Fibber, Mickey, and Molly block of shows, and Fibber, Mickey, and Molly, this episode is from November 18th, 1947, the episode is entitled, The Phone Call. Now, what would have happened if Alexander Graham Bell went into some other line of work and didn't invent the telephone? Where would we be with everyone, including homeless people, now have their own cell phone? I know that for a fact, that homeless people do have cell phones. So, how important is your phone? How important was it 75 years ago? Well, you find out when you listen to this Fibber McGee and Molly. And after that is our Miss Brooks from October 10th, 1954. Chief Thundercloud is bartending or something to that effect. Well, we get to find out uh, what that's all about. I had never heard this episode ever in my life. And then and after that is You Bet Your Life from January 18th. 1950, the secret word is spoon, S-P-O-O-N. I picked this episode primarily because it is an unedited episode. Now, if you don't know, because of Groucho Marx and his want to ad-lib all of the time, and never remembering anything except maybe... um what was written on the card about the rules of You Bet Your Life, he was pretty much off the cuff. And they didn't want to change that. And they used four cameras, one to record the audience, one movie camera to record Groucho, and two more to record the contestant. And they actually had to change film in the camera quite often, but they usually had enough film, so if they went over one hour of recording You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx, they actually would have an extra hour to do that. So in case he went way over. Because once he was on the roll, they didn't, the producers didn't want to Stop it. John Goodell did not want to stop Groucho improvising because it was always worth a lot afterwards. And, of course, there was a lot of film, miles of film, that they wasted to record You Bet Your Life. But it was always recorded on film. It was never done on videotape, and it was never done live, ever. So the audience was in for 
a long haul. If they thought they were going to get out within a half hour, well, they weren't. At least an hour of their time was taken up with Groucho Marx ad-libbing. But it was to their benefit because Groucho Marx was nothing to say he was never boring. Let's put it that way. So the audience got a treat when they saw Groucho ad-libbing on You Bet Your Life. So enjoy this, You Bet Your Life. From 1950, January 18th, Sticker Board is Spoon. It's unedited. Enjoy. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the King's Man and Billy Mills Orchestra. I read in a magazine the other day that color plays a more important part in our lives than we realize. For instance, this article said that bright gay colors make us feel happier, more cheerful. Well, come to think of it, that's quite true. And I guess that's still another reason why so many women tell me they couldn't do without glow coat on their kitchen floors. It's a fact that Johnson's self-polishing glow coat does make the colors in linoleum seem surprisingly bright and fresh. Then again, the shine you get with glow coat is so much brighter, has such a brilliant sparkle. That's because Johnson's glow coat now gives you nearly twice as much shine as before. Of course, you can cheer up your kitchen with Johnson's glow coat quite easily. Glow coat dries to a beautiful wax finish without rubbing or buffing. Saves you hours of work because dirt and spilled things wipe up so quickly. Try it, won't you? Brighter than ever, Johnson's self-polishing glow coat to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. The majority of people hail the telephone as a miracle of convenient communication. But there are some who believe that Alexander Graham Bell should have taken up some other line of work, like maybe getting sawed in half by a magician. For instance, a phone can be a confounded nuisance. When it starts ringing its fool head off, while folks are trying to eat breakfast. Such as at 79 Wistful Vista, the home of Fibber McGee and Molly. Why don't somebody leave people alone while we're trying to eat breakfast? That's four times somebody's called us between the orange juice and the waffles. Now, you calm yourself, sweetheart. Mm -hmm. Anger is bad for the digestion. And after seven waffles, you're crowding the bicarbonate department. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Hello. Ouch. What the... Oh, you stuck your fork in your ear. (laughs) Put it down, pick up the receiver. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, this is McGee. Who? Oh, more too. Certainly I know tonight's the night we go bowling. My gosh, we've been bowling every Tuesday night since time immoral. You think you've got to spend a nickel just to tell me about that? Your breakfast is getting cold. I'll be right there, Molly. And look, Mort, quit calling me up in the middle of breakfast. Use your brains if you got any. Oh, yeah? I'd like to hear you say that to my face, you big lemon head. Oh, pipe down, you big blabbermouth. That was more tooth, pal of mine. 
Another waffle, dearie? How many I had? Seven. <laughs> There's enough batter left for one more. Anybody here besides us? No. You had enough? Yes. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Didn't want to be a pig. Be done in a minute, and as soon as the coffee gets me, I'll answer it this time again. Maybe it's... No, 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 sir. You sit right where your doggone are, love boat. Let her ring. Yeah, but what if it's... I'm paying for the use of that telephone. That telephone ain't paying for the use of me. <laughs> Go ahead. Ring. ting a ling a ling See if I care. Ish kabibble. <laughs> I wouldn't lift a pinky to answer that phone if it was Ralph Edwards himself tipping me off to who was Miss... Oh, you did it, sweetheart. You outweighed them. You said it. Anytime a handful of hard rubber and copper wire thinks it's going to run my life for me. <laughs> Wonder who that could have been, Carl. Well, if it was important, they'll call again. And I must say, I admire your fortitude. Just to sit there and let that phone ring. It took character, all right. Certainly did. That's it. Particularly when there might have been something really important. Like maybe you won a prize on the Irish sweepstakes. Huh? <laughs> maybe somebody offering you a big job in Washington. Oh? Or maybe you got elected grand exalted double malted high chief of the inner mysteries of the outer gates of the purple circle of the BPOE. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Oh, no, no. The Elks haven't got any such silly thing as that. <laughs> Although my name was mentioned rather prominent. Oh, no, no, no. This is probably just the wrong number. Don't you think? No. Frankly, dearie, it sounded like a legitimate call to me. You going to answer it if it rings again? Yes, I think I've taught it a lesson now. <laughs> Gosh, I wish they would call back. Whoever it was. I know a guy lost $8,000 once because he didn't answer the phone when the pot of gold program called him. Oh, I'll get it. That's them. They're calling back. Hello? 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 It was the doorbell, dearie. Huh? Oh. Come in. Oh, hello there, Mr. Oldtimer. Hi, Oldtimer. Hello there, kids. See you just about through breakfast. I'll come back later. What time you have lunch? Twelve? I'll be back at 11.45 to just hey, have coffee. Hey. Hey, hey, old-timer. What say, Johnny? You didn't by any chance try to get me on the phone a few minutes ago, did you? Not me, kids. Don't catch me squandering my hard-earned nickels just to hear somebody howling down a piece of wire. I guess I got that from Mama. Mama hated telephones. Couldn't hear a thing on them. Why not? We didn't have one. <laughs> Don't trust telephones myself. My brother had a bad experience with one just last summer. What happened to your brother, Mr. Oldtimer? Get his knuckle jammed in a return slot? <laughs> nope. Got a wrong number. Trying to call a tall, red-headed number named Gladys and got a little sweet-talking peroxide number named Elizabeth. <laughs> got to talking, made a date, kept it up, got married, and look at my brother now. <laughs> Tied up for life with a wife and five healthy boys. Hey, wait a minute. Five boys? He just met her last summer. Yes, and a lazier bunch of brother-in-laws you never seen, Johnny. <laughs> no, sir, no telephones for me. Well, personally, I think we owe a great deal to the telephone, Mr. Oldtimer. Culturally, think of our thousands of artists and sculptors who got their starts carving their initials on the inside of telephone booths. What's the Yankee if he can't do this? <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Potter, but that ain't the way I hear it. The way I hear it, one feller says to tell a feller, Say, he said, just come from a meeting of a bunch of fellers planning to take over the government. That's so, says t'other feller. Subversives? No, says the first feller. Republicans. <laughs> See you later, kids. Billy Mills in the orchestra and on the avenue. <laughs> Somebody who needs me. Name one besides me. <laughs> hey, I wonder if it could have been old Fred Nittany. Who? Fred Nittany from Starved Rock, Illinois. The guy that I and he used to have a vaudeville act together once. I must have told you about Fred Nittany. Come in. Oh, it's Mr. Williams, the weatherman. Hello, Mr. Williams. Hi, Foggy, old man. Good day, Mrs. McGee, presumably. Good day, Mr. McGee. Like the cooler. <laughs> Say, did you phone us about 9.15 this morning, Mr. Williams? No. No, I didn't. But 9.15. Now, let me see. What was I doing at 9.15? Oh, yes, I... No, I wasn't either. <laughs> that was later. That was 9.25. What was? What I thought I was doing at 9.15. <laughs> no, I didn't call you, Mr. McGee. Well, that eliminates uh, Mr. Williams, McGee. Well, thanks, Foggy. I'll bet you get a lot of phone calls in your racket, huh? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. My telephone calls fall into two distinct categories. Uh-huh. One kind starts out, will it be okay if we plan a little outing for today? And the other one goes, 
Well, you loused up our picnic again, you rat. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Williams, it must be nice to be a weatherman and know whether or not to take an umbrella when you go out. Personally, I haven't guessed it right in years. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> May I tell you a little trade secret? Neither have I. <laughs> I have umbrellas scattered all over town. <laughs> well, I must get home and feed my groundhog. Good day. Probably. I wonder if he does keep a groundhog. You know, McGee, I wonder if Lloyd's of London insures Princess Elizabeth against bad weather on her wedding day. Well, I doubt it, kiddo. Besides, there'd be so much excitement they wouldn't even notice a tornado. That wedding is sure going to liven things up in Buckingham Palace. Well, into each rain, some life must fall. <laughs> That's an old saying I just made up. <laughs> oh, doorbells, doorbells, doorbells. Why don't the telephone ring? Come in. Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. Say, why don't you answer your telephone when somebody calls up? Oh. <laughs> so it was you, was it? Gee whiz, Omaha. I've been worrying my curly little head about frantic over that. You see, we were having breakfast. Breakfast? And... At 10 o'clock last night? Oh. Your call was at 10 last night. You, uh, you didn't call at 9.15 this morning? No. Did somebody? Oh, dear. Hey, you know, this is getting serious. That phone call could have been from anybody in the world. I might be missing out on something big. Doggone it, why didn't I answer? Oh, what a fool I am. Hey, pal, look. Huh? Lots of changes are being made in radio. Oh. Comics are being dropped like dry ice over the dust bowl. Yeah. Fred Allen is changing sponsors. Television is sneaking up on us. Maybe Racine was calling. What do you think? <laughs> Racine was constant? Uh-huh. You mean they... After all these years? <laughs> thirteen years to be more or less exact, and thirteen is not what I would call a promising number. Well, I'll tell you how we can find out, pal. After all, I'm in this as deep as you. Yeah. Hand me the phone, Molly. Here, Mr. Wilcox. Thanks. Hello, operator. Long distance, please. Yeah, tell him we want to find out. Long distance, I want the president of Johnson's Wax, Racine, Wisconsin. Yes, and would you... Huh? Who? Mert, who? Oh, uh, that's for me, Junie. I'll take it. <laughs> Hello, Mert. How's every little thing, Mert? What say, Mert? Your uncle. Oh, that's too bad, Mert. Probably just sensitive. Yeah. A pinpoint ball, eh? Don't you mean a ballpoint pen, dearie? Well, he just got out of the pen, and if anybody points at him, he balls. <laughs> What's say, Mert? Oh, much obliged. Hey, Junie, they got Racine for you. Come Thanks, on. pal. Hello, Racine. Is this uh, Mr. Johnson? Oh, this is Wilcox, Chief. Chief, they sure got the Indian sign on him. Quiet. Look, uh, look, Chief. McGee got a call about 9.15 this morning, and I want... Oh, sure. I always stress the fact that Johnson's glow coat is self-polishing. Well, you think I ought to hit it a little harder, eh? If he hits it any harder, he'll go right through to the basement. <laughs> hey, Junie, ask What's say, Chief? Oh, yeah, I always say that Johnson's Glow Coat simplifies housekeeping yes. by protecting the linoleum against dust and dirt and dampness and making still things so much easier to wipe up with a damp cloth. Well, look, see, about 9.15 this morning... Huh? Yeah, yes, I know. Just pour a little out, spread it around with a long-handled appliance, oh. and 20 minutes or less it dries to a sparkling finish that protects the linoleum with no rubbing and no bubbing. Here, here, here. But... Give me that phone. Hey, Chief, 
This is McGee speaking. Did you call me this morning at... Huh? <laughs> yes, Chief. <laughs> he always stresses that glow coat is the finest... Per- <laughs> oh, sure, Chief. We, we all do. We're pitching every minute. <laughs> right, Chief. Okay, Chief. So long, Chief. Well, it wasn't Racine that called me. Well, I will say that you boys solved the problem with the least satisfaction and the greatest expense possible. <laughs> you have the charges transferred to your office phone, I presume, Junior? Why, certainly not. My office phone is for business calls only. This was personal. <laughs> Look, Waxy. Yes, pal? I'm beginning to understand how you lasted this long as a Johnson salesman, but I'm puzzled how you lasted this long as a friend. May I make a suggestion? Pray do. Go home. Okay, see you later, folks. Well, he was a big help. Like a strong wind at a prairie fire, huh? Let me see if the Elks Club didn't call, or Foggy Williams, or Harlow, or Racine. The worst of it is, I got a horrible feeling that that was a very important telephone call. Maybe Washington was one. Come in. Oh, hi, Boomer. Hello, Mr. Boomer. Do come in. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. And good day to you, platypus. <laughs> nice to walk into a lovely home like this, through the door, getting a little old for windowsills. <laughs> Find it hard on the knees. Hey, Boomer, you didn't happen to call me this morning for any reason, did you? I got a phone call. Vanish the thought, plowboy. Can't think of a more wasteful use for a nickel. No, indeed. Did you know the nickel will buy five copper pennies which properly flattened and glued in pairs will serve as quarters in slot machines? Oh, yeah. Well, I got news for you, Boomer. There aren't any slot machines in Wistful Vista. It's illegal. <laughs> he has news for me. You continue to keep the boy at home, my dear. You're doing a good job with him. Well, thank you, Mr. Boomer. I've got a pair of those copper pennies right here someplace. If I can just... Pennies, pennies. Where did I put those pennies? Here's my autograph book. All millionaires' signatures. Oh, you collect autographs, Mr. Boomer? Yes, I do, my dear. Gives me many a pleasant hour in the long winter evening, practicing my penmanship. <laughs> Must keep busy, you know, always forging ahead. <laughs> yes, indeed. Here's a handy little cigarette lighter. Opens up into an acetylene torch. And a fan belt that belongs to a crooner friend of mine. Uses it to belt his fans with. Ah, <laughs> uh, what have we here? Oh, yes. Jar of vanishing cream. Very handy when one is playing cops and robbers with cops. <laughs> You're not going to tell us you rub it on yourself and vanish, Boomer. Not at all, my boy, not at all. You merely round the corner and swiftly drop a guy with a vanishing cream over the sidewalk in front of the pursuer. Yeah? Ever see a 200-pound harness bull do a half-gainer into a trash can in full uniform? <laughs> Very impressive sight, yes, indeed. Oh, well, what do you know? No cop pennies. I've been robbed, victimized. Oh, dear. Must get right downtown and report this to the police. Yes, indeed. Horatio K. Boomer has had his pockets picked. Oh, oh, oh. how ironic can life be? (laughs) Well, don't get up, my dear. I'll open the door. No, no, Boomer, not that door. No, that's the hall door.
must clean out this treasure trove for you one of these days or nights. <laughs> Men and sipping cider by the Zyder Z. How'd you like to take a journey to a land across the ocean blue? Come and see the arms of whirling mills waving to the sleeping hills. Wouldn't we be gay on a Holland holiday? Sip cider by the Zyder Z, the Zyder Z, the Zyder Z. Wouldn't it be more than heavenly with you so close to me? Love can be sublime in tulip time, tulip time, tulip time. And suddenly our tulip touch, would I be in Dutch? And if we get the chance, we'll put on our wooden shoes and dance. Our joy will be complete, that'll be a real Dutch treat. Darling, if you say you'll marry me, the soon will be a family. Sit beside her by the cider sea, beside the cider sea. Sit beside her by the cider sea, the cider sea, the cider sea. Come and sit beside the cider sea, the cider sea with me. Sip and cider by the cider sea, the cider sea, the cider sea. Come and sit beside the cider sea, the cider sea with me. Hear the little Dutch boy singing, while the little Dutch girl is swinging, and the little Dutch band is swinging. I'm whooped. Why didn't I answer that phone this morning, anyhow? No telling what I might have passed. Hey, I know what I'll do. What now? I'm going down to the phone company. I'll get right at the source of this thing. I'll find out. Grab your hat. Where's my muffler? Where's my overshoe? I'll get... Now, hold everything, Impulsive. Company. Come in. Oh, hello there, Dr. Gamble. Good day, my dear. Hi, (laughs) Band-Aid. And how are you today, tall, blonde, and handsome? Who, me? I'm tall, blonde, and handsome? Yes, in a short, dark, and repulsive sort of way. <laughs> I'm glad you stopped in, Doctor. Did you by any chance call us on the telephone at about 9.15 this morning? No, I did not. You positive, Doctor? I want to know for sure. I simply got to find out what that call was. How do you know your telephone rang? We sat right there and listened to it. Why didn't you answer it? Or am I too inclined to simplify things? <laughs> I didn't want to answer it because I already had answered the dad rather thing four times and I was getting tired of answering it. You're sure you didn't call me, Doc? Look, Trowel Nose. <laughs> From 7.35 this morning until the hour of 8.22, I was engaged in removing the appendix from a wealthy industrialist who will pay unwittingly for removing the tonsils from a newsboy which took until 9.21, at which time I went to breakfast. 
Does that answer your question? Yes, I guess it does. <laughs> At last. There's my call. They call me back. Now I'll know. Hello? This is McGee speaking, and the reason I didn't answer the phone before... Huh? Oh. oh okay. For you, Doc. Thank you. Hello, Gamble speaking. Oh, yes, Mrs. Clatterhatch. Her again. Uh, what was that, Mrs. Clatterhatch? Well, I've told him a dozen times what to do for that skin irritation. Cut out the starches. Okay, Mrs. Clatterhatch. Goodbye. Starches in his diet? Oh, in his laundry. His neck is all scratched up. <laughs> well, I, I hope you solve your childish problem, problem child. Good day, my dear. Good day, doctor. Well, that illuminates another possibility. <laughs> now I gotta go downtown and see if the phone company has got a record of that call. Get your hat, kiddo. Come on, let's all go. All right, McGee. I'll be right with you. Be sure all the windows are closed and the doors are Okay, I'll shut them up tight. Ma, there goes a good kid. Greatest thing that ever happened to me was the day she decided to ignore everybody's advice and marry me anyhow. <laughs> Flying in the face of public opinion like that took courage. Oh, now who? Come in. Oh, hi, sis. Look, I want to ask you a question. Did you or did you not call me on the telephone at 9.15 this morning? Yes. You did? No. You didn't? Yes. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> can't you answer a straight question, yes or no? Not if you can't ask one, I betcha. Huh? You asked me if I did or did not, yes or no. You can't answer that question, yes or no. Well, you can't. Let's start over. Okay. Hi, mister. Hello, Jeannie. <laughs> Say, did you call me up this morning at 9.15? Why? <laughs> Doggone it, why do you have to be so exact? Look, say, this is very important to me, sis. Please, did you call me up this morning? No. No. No, I didn't call you up, mister. Oh. I was in school at 9.15 this morning. Oh, I see. I got a prize today for being tidy. A prize for being tardy. Sure. I had the neatest desk in the whole school. <laughs> you mean tidy. That's what I said. Mm -hmm. I always keep my desk tidy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a very good trace, or trace, sis. <laughs> How do you keep your desk so neat? Oh, I got a system, mister. I worked it out. Yeah? I just take all my books and Crayolas and... Pen wipers and comics and dolls and stuff. And pile them up neatly? No, I shove them in Willie Chooks' desk. <laughs> Boy, is his desk a mess. <laughs> so long, mister. Go on, She's cute. <clears throat> hey, Molly, hurry up. I want to get downtown to the phone company. Come on, Molly. <laughs> Company, dearie. Come on. Yeah, we got here, huh. Boy, oh boy, I hope they got a record of that call. My gosh, I should have thought of this thing early this morning, Molly. I might have been in touch with Washington or whoever it was by now and had the whole... Yes. Now, let's see. I wonder which window we go to to ask Good about afternoon. that. Can I help you? Now, that all depends, sis. We don't know just what department we want, you see. I am Miss Eager in customer relations. I'll be very happy to direct you. Well, I'm glad to know you, sis. We're Mr. and Mrs. Tripper McGee. I'm Mr. McGee, and my wife here is Mrs. McGee. 
How do you do, I'm sure. Uh, look, sis, we live at 79 Wistful Vista. And I got a phone call this morning, something important, and it stopped ringing before I could get to answer it. Yes, and we were wondering if your office might have a record of the call or something. I realize it's pretty unusual, well, Just but... sit down here a moment, please, and I'll see what I can find out for you. Now, uh, what time was the call? 9.15, sis. I marked down the time because... And your phone number is... Wistful Vista 1073. You see, we always have breakfast. Mr. McGee, I'm delighted to say that I have that call right here on this list. You have? Wonderful. My gosh, this, what was it? Who called? What about? I called you myself. What? <laughs> you did? Yes. We're conducting a survey of our subscribers, Mr. McGee. And at exactly 9.15 this morning, I called to ask you if your telephone service has been completely satisfactory. <laughs> has it? <laughs> Yes. Yes, the service has been splendid. Thank you for inquiring. Very courteous gesture. Thank you. And may we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy to get out of here. return in a moment. You know, when you enter a home where the floors, furniture, and woodwork are wax-protected, the first thing you notice is how beautiful it all is. Well, it's a fact. Nothing adds quite the same beauty as wax. Think about it for a moment, and you'll realize that that package of Johnson's Wax on your shelf is not just a product, it's a method of housekeeping, a means of protecting all kinds of surfaces in your home. It's a way to save yourself hours of tedious housework all year long and have a clean, shining home that your friends will envy. You see, when you apply Johnson's Wax, you add an invisible film of tough protection, a film that wards off dirt and spill things, and is easy to dust because it's hard and dry. When you polish that wax film, your floors and furniture glow with rich, mellow beauty. Add to that the hundred extra uses for this wax throughout your home, and you'll understand what I mean by wax housekeeping with Johnson's Wax, paste or liquid. There's nothing else like it to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. You know, McGee, I'm awfully glad that phone call wasn't from Washington with a big job for you. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't mind being an ambassador or something. In the diplomatic service? Oh, you'd be fine, dearie, with all those diplomats. You betcha. <laughs> but I'd get pretty tired having teas every day for the diplomatists. Uh, the uh, diploma... Uh, say, uh, what do you call a diplomat's wife, anyhow? Mrs. Oh. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This is WMAQ NBC in Chicago. Um, <laughs> I have to step in here and correct something that I had um, mentioned about this episode about Chief Thundercloud. <laughs> I said that Chief 
thundercloud would be bartending. I was half right, or partially right. It actually turned out to be bartering with Chief Thundercloud. A big difference. Although I think bartending would have been a cute show also. <laughs> but that's not the name of the episode. The episode's name is Chief Thundercloud. Bartering with Chief Thundercloud. That's the title of the episode. So, I missed it by that much. <laughs> but enjoy the show. Unfortunately, it's not bartending with Chief Thundercloud. It's bartering with Chief Thundercloud. Excuse me. Enjoy. Answer the doorbell this instant. <laughs> so I answered the doorbell. When I opened the door, to my surprise, there stood an American Indian in full regalia, and right behind him stood his squaw, who appeared to have a papoose board on her back. No sooner had I opened the door when the Indian said, Oh. Very simple. I turned the doorknob and it opened. <laughs> oh. I just told you. Lady, how is greeting? I, Chief Thundercloud. This my squaw. How? I just turned the door. Oh, no. I'm not... uh, Mr. Conklin live here? Yes, this is his wigwam. A house. Won't you come in? Uh, Mr. Conklin, expect me. Me lecture at Madison High School today. The chief, he, Mr. Conklin's friend. Oh, really? Well, I'm a teacher at Madison. You very pretty. Squaw, she Miss Brooks' friend. <laughs> Thanks, Mrs. Thundercloud. Now, Mr. Conklin ought to be down any minute, so why don't you two have a seat? Chief have seat. Squaw, she stand. Squaw, she stand? It is custom of my tribe. When chief sit, squaw stand. Now you understand? Do I? Squaw, have you got a squawk? <laughs> uh, that is, I don't entirely agree with that custom, Chief. And Good morning, Miss Brooks. Well, Chief Thundercloud and Mrs. Thundercloud, good morning. Good morning, Mrs. Conklin. How, oh, Mrs. Conklin? Very simple. She just married Mr. Conklin. And... <laughs> oh, there I go again. Oh, Mrs. Conklin, is that a new fur coat you're carrying? It's stunning. Why, thank you, Miss Brooks, but I've had it for years. Matter of fact, I'm thinking of selling it. That's why I brought it out so early. Do you know someone in the market? Why, yes, I've been looking for a winter coat myself, and yours is simply beautiful. But you'd probably want a good deal more than I could afford. Oh, I don't know. I'll tell you what, Miss Brooks. Give me a hundred dollars and you can walk off with the coat. What do you say? If I had five dollars, I might sneak off with a sleeve. <laughs> I knew I couldn't afford anything as luxurious as that. Oh, I am sorry, Miss Brooks. I wish you could have bought it. But if you hear of anyone else who might be interested, please let me know. Now, I'll be right back with your sack of flour, Chief. It's in the kitchen. Very good. And other things. Well, Mr. Conklin is still upstairs with your ham and turkey. And when he's subdued them, I know he'll bring them down. <laughs> sack of flour, ham, turkey? If I'm not being too inquisitive, Chief, what are they for? Well, pay for lecture at school. I give lecture and Mr. Conklin give goods. System of barter. Indians use it for hundreds of years. Me and Squaw always use barter. Don't we, Squaw? Miss Brooks, she very pretty. 
Chief, your wife might not say much, but what she does say certainly makes sense. <laughs> well, I think your system of barter is... I'm sorry to keep you waiting, Chief, but as you can see, I brought you your turkey and your ham. How, oh, Mr. Conklin? It's very simple. I carried them downstairs in my... <laughs> Your greeting. <laughs> Good. Now, I'd better put these things on the table before my arms fall off. Yeah, I guess that completes everything. The ham, the turkey, and this sack of flour on the cup. I'm getting rid of this old dress the first chance I get. <laughs> oh, it's Miss Brooks. Oh, good morning, Miss Brooks. But where is the sack of flour? Oh, your squaw, bring it from kitchen. My... Warm? Yes, sir. Right now, she's helping your papoose start breakfast. <laughs> but while we're waiting for your wife, sir, why not tell me why you asked me over here this morning? Oh, oh, yes, of course. Why asked you over here? Well, it concerns my wife, Miss Brooks. I want you to use your influence to prevent her from buying a pair of enormously expensive lamps, which I can't possibly afford. As you know, she thinks more of your judgment than any woman she knows. She does think that much of my judgment? Yes, the poor benighted soul. <laughs> but I suppose we all have our quirks. Well, a number of nights ago at your landlady's house, she fell in love with a pair of hideous-looking table lamps, and since then she's been combing the town for an identical pair. Yesterday she found them, and they asked her $200 for the eyesores. $200! <laughs> Miss Brooks, you've simply got to help me. Uh, but, sir, I don't see what I can do. Mrs. Davis discovered them in the attic about a week ago, and she just put them out that night. Say, wait a minute. If Chief Thundercloud can barter, so can I. Really? What tribe are you from, Pocahontas? <laughs> sir, it really shouldn't be so difficult. Your wife wants Mrs. Davis's old lamps, and I want your wife's old fur coat. Now, all I have to do is persuade Mrs. Davis to trade me those lamps for something else, and then oh, I can... Oh, here you are, Chief. Here's your sack of flour. I'll just put it on the table with these other things. Frankly, I don't see how you're going to carry all those things. They're so heavy. Oh, not heavy for me at all. But why not? Because Squaw going to carry them. <laughs> Custom in my tribe. Chief, sit back. Woman, work. Your tribe sounds more like Madison High every minute. <laughs> oh, oh, I understand. You tie all those things to your squaw's papoose board. Uh, if you'd excuse me, sir, I'd like to get back to see Mrs. Davis about that matter before school starts. But what's the hurry, Miss Brooks? Well, sir, I don't mind getting the idea for barter from the Indians, but I'm simply not the papoose board type. <laughs> your home. Did you have a good day at school, dear? Good day at school? Mrs. Davis, it's only eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, I'm so glad. For a moment there, I thought I'd misplaced ten hours. <laughs> I guess I got a little confused. Why did you come home, dear? Well, uh, because I had something rather important to discuss with you. Oh, it might not seem important to you, but it is to me. Recently, for some reason, this house has begun to depress me. I believe this feeling all started the day you put out those lamps. But, Connie, I just took them down from the attic a week ago. And that very night when Mrs. Conklin was over here, she admired them. 
Maybe she was thinking how they'd look in her attic. Well, dear, I'm not that fond of them. And if it will make you happy, I'll get rid of them. Oh, I don't want you to give the lamps away, Mrs. Davis, or even sell them cheaply, but I think I know where I can make a deal for them. So why not let me have them? I'll give you something I own in exchange for them. Anything you want. But, dear, you haven't got anything I want. <laughs> I know what you mean. I haven't got anything I want either. <laughs> but I tell you what, if you want to trade... There's Mr. Boynton Oh, you do and... better keeping the lamps <laughs> Oh, you mean something Mr. Boynton owns Yes, dear He has a painting in his apartment that's simply beautiful And it should really brighten up this living room It's called Doomsday <laughs> Oh, yes, indeed That, plus a little black wallpaper And we'll have the craziest living room around <laughs> I was about ready to give the whole idea back to the Indians. However, realizing that adults sometimes get discouraged more easily than children, I decided to tell my story to Walter Denton when I ran into him on my way to lunch. Walter listened as I told him how much Mrs. Conklin's old fur coat meant to me and the great lengths I was going to to acquire that coat. Well, now, let's see if I've got it straight. You want Mrs. Conklin's fur coat, and Mrs. Conklin would be willing to give you that fur coat, but she wants Mrs. Davis's lamps. And Mrs. Davis would be willing to give you the lamps, but she wants Mr. Boynton's painting. Now, let's see. What have you got that Mr. Boynton could possibly want? <laughs> I'll thank you to rephrase that question. Hey, wait a minute. Of course. That the cameo ring you're wearing. Oh, I've often heard him tell you how much he'd like a ring like that for his mother. Say, maybe I could trade him the ring for his painting at that. Particularly since his mother's birthday is next week. Well, sure you could, Miss Brooks. When you see him in the cafeteria in a few minutes, something he'll say will remind you of his mother and you can just slide into the subject gracefully. Leave it to me, Walter. If there's anyone who can slide into something gracefully, it's me. And Mr. Conklin has the welts to prove it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to be a little late, Miss Brooks. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Boynton. Sit down. Thanks. I uh, figured you'd be about ready for dessert and coffee, so I brought you these. Why, Mr. Boynton, how thoughtful. A clean fork and spoon. <laughs> I would have brought you some rhubarb pie, but it's the only pie they've got left, and I know how you dislike it. You always say there are certain things that don't agree with you. Why, Mr. Boynton, that's simply not true. I'm devoted to your mother. <laughs> my mother? Who was talking about my mother? I was, and let's not change the subject. <laughs> I know how you feel about your mother, Mr. Boynton, and I realize how much thought you've given to the important occasion coming up next week. Important occasion? What important occasion? <laughs> Say, that's very catchy. The Main Stein song, isn't it? <laughs> yes, the state of Maine is celebrating its birthday next week. Mr. Boynton, that tune was happy birthday to you. Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. 
My birthday isn't for six months yet. <laughs> Say, but by an odd coincidence, it is my mother's birthday. Eureka! <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you must be giving a lot of thought to your mother's presents. Why, no, Miss Brooks. Mother knows how little I can afford. She told me specifically that she didn't expect anything this year. So I'm tempted to forget the whole thing. I'm beginning to wish I had, too. But, Mr. Boynton, devoted as you are to your mother, you certainly wouldn't pass up an occasion like a birthday. Well, I certainly wouldn't want to if I could afford to give her something nice. Well, a nice gift isn't necessarily expensive. You've often said your mother would appreciate a cameo ring like the one I have on. Well, I'm proposing a trade. My ring for the painting in your apartment. Miss Brooks, you're not serious, are you? Well, I'd be delighted to make the trade, but... Then just be at my house at eight with the painting and we'll consummate the deal. There are a number of other transactions that will have to be made at the same time. Well, all right. Gosh, I didn't think anyone would ever want my painting doomsday. It certainly doesn't do much to brighten up a room. Well, don't worry about it. In our living room, doomsday will look like the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Minute. Oh, hello, Harriet. Oh, I'm glad I caught you before you went into the lecture, Miss Brooks. I have a message for you from Mrs. Davis. What is it, dear? Well, Mrs. Davis asked me to tell you that you'll never have to worry about those lamps you dislike again. Why? What do you mean, Harriet? She said some man came by the house a little before noon, and she sold them to him for $25. What? Oh, no, she couldn't have. Who would want the lamps, and where would anyone get the idea to come by today? Oh, Miss Brooks. That's what I'm wondering. How? Oh, hello, T. <laughs> hello, Mrs. Thundercloud. Miss Brooks, she very pretty. <laughs> Miss Brooks, she very dead. Something matter, Miss Brooks? Yes, it has to do with some lamps my landlady just sold. Remember, Mr. Conklin and I were discussing them this morning, but it would hardly concern you, Chief. Oh, much concern to me. I bought them. You bought them? Yes. Find out this morning they're very important to you. You want fur coat? Very important to Mrs. Conklin. She want lamps. Very important to Mr. Conklin. He want to keep money. And very important to Chief Thundercloud, because tonight he want to barter us into beggary. <laughs> When I asked you over here this evening, I had no idea Chief Thundercloud would own those lamps. He just outsmarted me, sir. But so could a slightly dopey four-year-old child. <laughs> oh, you knew how desperately I needed those lamps? Well, it really wasn't Miss Brooks' fault, sir. But anyway, maybe Chief Thundercloud won't be so difficult to deal with. Boynton, take my word for it. Chief Thundercloud is one of the sharpest traders I've ever met. I have a feeling one of his ancestors was in that Manhattan Island for $24 deal. And he's been laying for us ever since. <laughs> as far as I can see, you've brought your painting and I've brought my wife's fur coat for nothing. Well, at least it's worth a try, sir. Oh, here they are now. Well, Chief Thundercloud and Mrs. Thundercloud. Evening, Miss Brooks. Please come in. The others are already here. Oh, well, Chief Thundercloud, what a pleasure to see you so soon again. That was a brilliant lecture you gave today. It's a brilliant. I don't believe you know Mr. Boynton, Chief Thundercloud. How, Mr. Boynton? That's the question I've been asking for six years now. 
How do you do, Chief? And, Mr. Boynton, this is Mrs. Thundercloud. Miss Brooks, she's very pretty. I think they're the only words she knows, but I love every one of them. <laughs> well, Chief, Miss Brooks tells me that you now own the lamps, but I assured her we'd have no difficulty coming to some trade that will be beneficial to us all. I think we'll... You did bring the lamps with you. Lamps tied to papoose board. Papoose board? Where's that? Right on the back of the mapoose. <laughs> Mrs. Thundercloud, I mean. Well, I have the fur coat here, and Mr. Boyden has his painting, so if there's no objection, why don't we start trading? Chief, only trade Indian style. What's that, with tomahawks? <laughs> uh, what's Indian style? Well, we all sit around in circles, smoke peace pipe, and then we trade. Squad, hand me peace pipe. Now we all sit. And I give you light. Hey, this isn't bad. Not bad at all. <coughs> tobacco is a little strong, though. How, how do I look smoking a peace pipe, Miss Brooks? Oh, fine, Mr. Barton. The brown of the pipe goes very well with the green of your face. <laughs> Are you feeling all right? Well, certainly, Miss Brooks. Only, would you mind sitting still, please? Mr. Boynton, I am sitting still. Now, uh, <clears throat> Boynton, stop being so silly. No tobacco is that strong? But it does seem to be having quite an effect on him, sir. Hmm. Now the whole room's going around and around and around. <laughs> Boynton, let me have that pipe. You hear me, Boynton? I'm talking to you. Well, say something. Happy New Year! <laughs> and when the real New Year comes around, he's in bed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> You'd better stop smoking, Mr. Boynton. I, uh, I guess I'd better. Well, I've never seen such a ridiculous display from a few measly puffs of tobacco. Well, here is pipe, Mr. Conklin. You try. Gladly. Say, this isn't bad. Tobacco has a nice taste to it. You uh, you don't find it strong, sir? Certainly not, Boynton. And you don't feel any ill effects? Well, of course not. Only, Miss Brooks, stop bobbing up and down this instant. <laughs> She's sitting absolutely still, sir. You keep out of this, Boynton. All four of you. <laughs> Four, Mr. Boynton? Oh, boy, let me at that piece five. <laughs> uh, are you all right, Mr. Conklin? Sir, uh, are you all right? Mr. Conklin, speak to us. Merry Christmas! <laughs> Holy snow. Oh, I, I don't feel very well. Neither do I, sir. Well, Chief, ready to trade any time now. Oh, I get it. First he gets us loaded, and then we're pushovers. What is offer, Miss Brooks? Well, I planned on giving Mr. Boynton my cameo ring for his painting. Then I was going to give you his painting for those lamps, and then give the lamps to Mr. Conklin for the fur coat. Afraid you made mistake. I was afraid you'd be afraid. <laughs> I will give lamps to Mr. Conklin for fur coat plus $100. $100? 
Oh, Gad, I've been ambushed. Well, <laughs> it'll teach you to stay with the other covered wagons. <laughs> then I give fur coat to Miss Brooks for ring plus $50, and then give ring to Mr. Boynton for picture plus $20. I knew I should have attended your lecture today. But, but, but this is a holdup. Well, there's no use complaining, sir. The chief has us over a barrel. Well, let's hang on to it. By the time he's through with us, we'll be wearing it. But I don't see any way we can... Oh, good evening, everyone. Please excuse this old house coat. But I was in the kitchen making you some hot chocolate. Oh, house coat's very pretty. You mean I'm finally getting competition from a house coat? <laughs> oh, house coat, very, very pretty. I like. I like very much. You do? Well, how would you like to have that house coat, Mrs. Thundercloud? Oh, I want. I want. Silence, woman. Go and sit down. How do you like that? For 40 years, she's forced to stand up, and finally, when she wants something, she's told to go and sit down. <laughs> she will not have house coat. But I want. I want. And you'll get. You'll get. Chief, <laughs> how could you refuse a simple request from a woman who's been such a good wife to you? A woman who works day and night for you, who stands while you sit, who carries your goods on her back. Where could you find another horse, a squall like that? <laughs> yes, indeed. This is the poor thing deserves that house coat. No other man would dream of working a woman that hard. I'll remember that the next time I'm called into your office. But, Chief, if I were your wife and you refused a simple request like that, why, I'd refuse to work for you. Women in my tribe different. Squaw never refused to work. Miss Brooks, she's taking off her papoose board. Goodness, not in front of all these people. Uh, oh, it's just the board on her back. Well, Chief, do we trade? We trade. But first, I smoke peace pipe. Don't bother. When you hear what we're going to get for that house coat, you'll be sick enough without it. <laughs> Well, the barter system turned out to be quite a headache for the chief. And now, here's our star, Eve Arden. Well, by the time I was through trading with Chief Thundercloud, I had my fur coat, Mr. Conklin had his lamps, Mr. Boynton had his ring, Mrs. Davis her painting, and Mrs. Thundercloud had the house coat she wanted so badly. For the house coat, the chief had to pay Mrs. Davis $29. When the chief and his squaw had left, I heard some words I had never hoped to hear during my lifetime. Miss Brooks, you were magnificent. Yes. <laughs> Miss Brooks, you handled that trade beautifully. But, Connie, I never expected $29 for that old house coat. Well, actually, Mrs. Davis, only $5 was for the house coat. Oh, then what was the other $24 for, Miss Brooks? Well, I figured it was about time they returned that $24 we gave them for Manhattan Island. <laughs> Brooks, starring Eve Arden, transcribed, was produced and directed by Larry Burns, written by Arthur Allsberg, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, Virginia Gordon, Joel Samuel, and June Foray. Music 
Hey everyone, I just thought I would come in here a little bit to explain a little bit more about what the process was for recording uh, the You Bet Your Life program with Groucho Marx. Um, the audio that was done for radio was still taken from the audio that had been recorded on film. So what people heard on the radio show was still basically the television show, but only audio only. And so then a different crew would have to go through the uh, available, usable material for You Bet Your Life, and it would be edited slightly different for radio. Radio was more stringent, and TV was a little bit more laid back. So the episodes for the radio show would sound somewhat different because they would use different aspects of Groucho's interview technique when he would talk to the contestants. So what you hear will be slightly different from the television show. And uh, the television show would take longer to put together simply because it was visual. And they also had to put in the commercials and everything else. They had to time out exactly um, a half hour. But still, I think that the, the um, it was done slightly differently for radio as opposed to television as far as editing is concerned. I hope that makes sense. Anyway, enjoy this one hour and a few seconds of Groucho Marx and You Bet Your Life. Alone, too. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I anticipated. <laughs> More people scurrying in and out. How many people use glass wipes? Oh, that's another. Bannerman, <laughs> show them your teeth. You're on for Colgate, aren't you? You still working for those people? Uh, Have you ever heard the commercial on this? Singing commercial? Brush your teeth with Colgate's. Oh, Colgate's dental cream, it cleans your teeth. What a toothpaste! What a toothpaste! <laughs> <laughs> Scare the fangs right out of your mouth. <laughs> keep mine in my pocket until the commercial is over. <laughs> the height of Groucho's microphone, all right? Did he tell you to keep your trap shut when the... Oh, just, just the coat there, old girl. I don't go any further. <laughs> There's some distractions, you know, that are just too much for me. Did you ever get so much instruction from any show? <laughs> Letting get, getting brief or going over the top. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is spoon. S-P-O-O-N. Really? You'll bet your life! <laughs> Ladies and 
DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho, sorry, my name's Yasmin Khan. <laughs> Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who gets first whack at it? Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a bouncer from a dance hall and an accountant. And here they are, Mr. Alan Landman and bouncer Bill Graves. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, gentlemen. You bet your life. And if one of you says the DeSoto Plymouth secret word, he wins $100 instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. I don't know about your house. You'll find it around mine. <laughs> a bouncer and a bookkeeper, eh? That's quite a combination. Mr. Bill... Uh, Graves. Bill Graves, huh? You're a bouncer at a da- dance hall? Yes, sir. Prove it. Let me see you bounce around it. <laughs> where, where are you from, Bill? I'm from uh, within the stone soul of the Churchill Downs in Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And you, what do you do? You throw stones around there? Oh, I don't yes, sir. Right and a lot the, of hot air. Hot air. Right near the racetrack. Right near the racetrack. You must have seen Man of War down there. I did. I have seen Man of War, and I've uh, bet some money on him. Well, you must be loaded, then. I'm loaded <laughs> to the gills. Let me see your gills. Eh? <laughs> why, why, why did you leave uh, Louisville? Uh, did you get bounced? I uh, wanted to come out to California. I had heard so much about it as a child. I thought it was the greatest place in the world, and I came out here, and I've never changed my mind. That's 49 years ago. Well, I'm sorry you haven't... Glad you haven't been disillusioned. Eh? <laughs> Bookkeeper, uh, 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 Alan uh, Landman? Yes, sir. I'll just call you Bookie, yeah? No, I'm not a You're not a bookie, huh? Well, I better call you bookkeeper, is that right? No, that's not right either. I'm an accountant. Very hard to please, aren't you? <laughs> I'll call you count, is that all right? <laughs> or int. I was int, huh? <laughs> Tell me, account, uh, what do you do as an accountant? Oh, I make income tax returns out for people, give them general advice on their financial statements, and audit their books. Keep books, and I'll just call you Bookie, huh? <laughs> and if you get raided, don't come running to me. <laughs> where, where are you from, Bookie? I was born within a stone's throw of the Fulton Fish Market in New York. <laughs> Your parents were big rocks, I take it, huh? <laughs> you were born near the uh, fish market, huh? That's right. And did you, how long did you flounder around there before you... <laughs> Yeah, Al Smith was born around there, wasn't he? Oh, that's right. Including the Derby. Yeah, well, I don't know where the Derby was born. <laughs> the Derby was born in Lexington, wasn't it? <laughs> that's another Derby. What's the most common bookkeeping error you find in your work, uh, Mr. Landman? I would say transposition. Well, you'll have to say more than that. Aren't you? Uh, I mean... That left me as cold as those stones where you were born with them. I mean, transposition of figures. That is, uh, writing $16,489.12 as $16,498.21. Transposing the figures in sequence. Well, I lost you a long time ago. (laughs) You can say anything you want as far as I'm concerned. 
Once they get around those decimal points, I'm dead, huh? And, uh, Jersey Bounce, tell me, uh, where do, where do you work? I work the Roseland Roof, 833 South Spring Street. And, uh, what is Roseland Roof? It is the finest taxi dance hall in the United States. I didn't know taxis could dance, huh? We have some two-legged taxis that dance very well, sir. Well, they do, huh? Yes, they do. Some night, if you're off and you have a moment to spare... I'm like off every come... night, huh? I'd like to have you come down and visit us. Well, I'd be very happy to, huh? They strap a meter on me, I suppose? <laughs> I welcome you with open arms and see that you have a lot of fun. Well, I may take you with us. You do that. We might possibly find you a nice little girl down there that you could marry if you're not married. <laughs> A man once before, and he said, I'm not married. I've been sick all my life. That's the reason I looked this way. Oh. Well, uh, I'm sorry you went so far with that invitation, huh? <laughs> the first half of it, you had me, huh? What, what do you do at the Roseland Roof, Mr. Graves? I'm the manager, the elevator operator, the policeman, uh, and uh, anything there is to be done around the place, I try to do it. You have a paper route in your spare time? I do. <laughs> how, how long a day do you work, Bill? I'm a union man. I work eight hours in the morning and eight hours at night. <laughs> Did you figure that joke out on your boss's time? Or... <laughs> I trust you wouldn't waste your own time on that. No, not on that. <laughs> Feeble wheeze, then. <laughs> Bookie, wake up. How much is two and two? Four. <laughs> Just checking, that's all. Now tell me, Tyke Trot, uh, how, many... uh, how many girls uh, work at your dance emporium? Between 75 and 100. Those are pretty loose figures to have on a dance floor. <laughs> Aren't you afraid they'll fall apart? Uh, not the figures we have. They're all pretty tight They're figures. They're all very nice. <laughs> You you handle figures too, don't you, uh, Alan? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Not the, not those kinds. No, not that type. Never. Mm. Off duty, I do. <laughs> the figures you handle don't lie. I take it. Huh? Oh, I wouldn't say that. You don't have to. I just said it. Huh? <laughs> what would you say? Well, I would say that my figures don't lie, but I couldn't vouch for other people's. Just goes, you can't tell a bookkeeper by his cover. Now, just what kind of a bookkeeper are you? I'm not a bookkeeper, Groucho. I'm an accountant. Well, what's the difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant? Well, an accountant is the, is the guy who tells the bookkeepers how to keep their books. Oh, I see. <laughs> what kind of bookkeeping systems are in use today? Oh, there are two systems, the uh, single entry and the double entry system. Well, give me an example. Well, the double entry system is the most common one. Uh, let's assume that you're in the jewelry business and you buy about $10,000 worth of diamonds. You would debit purchases for $10,000 and credit accounts payable for $10,000. That's the double entry system. Not me. <laughs> if I $10,000 in jewels, I'd be in Montreal in the morning. Eh? <laughs> now, Bookie, how much is three and two? Five. 
That's right. Just want to see if you're on your toes. That's all. <laughs> you ever run across cases of simple fraud? Uh, yes. What's a good way to skin a widow out of her mite, for example? <laughs> well, you pad the figures on an expense account. Is Steady the... now, there. <laughs> well, you're a rascal. That's what you. Are. You pad the widow's figures. <laughs> Well, how do you catch a crook like that? Oh, you just use your logic. For example, uh, if a guy submitted an expense account showing that he was in the Sahara Desert and uh, that he entertained some people at a nightclub there for 187.50, you is would there a nightclub in the Sahara Desert? <laughs> Not that I know of. That's exactly. This the... is just a hypothetical case. Yes. Sir. Well, couldn't you make it a nightclub where there happens to be a nightclub? <laughs> you mean this widow can only get cheated in the Sahara Desert? <laughs> You mean it would take a lot of sand to skin her, huh? <laughs> now, tell me, does anything exciting ever happen to an accountant? Well, uh, something exciting happened to me once. I got into an airplane uh, conducting five wooden packing cases that looked as if they might have contained cans of beans, and they actually had one million dollars in cold, hard American cash in them. And how did you find out? <laughs> I knew they were there all the time. Did you did you have a gun with you? Yes, I did. I was in the army as a dispersing officer, and I had a forty-five strapped to my side. Let me see. Have you ever had anything else strapped to your side? <laughs> Some mustard plaster. <laughs> Well, there's worse things than that to be stuck with, you know. <laughs> now, tell me, Bouncer, in your job, does anything unusual ever happen? Oh, not a big deal. We run along about the same all the way through. Mm-hmm. Now, what are your hostesses like? Are they all good dancers? They're all very nice dancers, all nice young ladies between 21 and 25 years of age and between 110 and 115 pounds. It's only five pounds uh, difference. Huh? That's all. <laughs> Pretty skinny, huh? <laughs> how, how tall are these girls? Most uh, average about five feet six. Do you measure them yourself? Or? I measure most of them, yes, sir. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if they're not up to specifications, you throw them back in the water? And... Back uh, down on the elevator. Have your girls always been taxi dancers, or did they have different backgrounds? Uh... A great many of them have been waitresses, and uh, a lot of them are girls that have been married and had trouble at home, and they have to get out and What kind of trouble? What do you mean, trouble at Domestic home? Domestic trouble. Who has trouble at home? Uh, one or two of them. They do, huh? Yeah. Well, what kind of trouble? Well, they... Husbands complain uh, about the cooking? About the cooking and about the baking and about uh, John not bringing home his salary and uh, John coming home with a load of peaches on that he shouldn't have and so forth and so forth and so forth. John shouldn't bring peaches home. No. <laughs> should leave them on the corner and come home alone. Huh? How much do you charge for a dance at your uh, abattoir? Twelve cents a minute. How much? Twelve cents a minute. Twelve? How long does uh, the dance last? A minute? One minute, yes, sir. Why do they drag them out so long? <laughs> I guess you do the, the two-step there, or you get chucked out, don't you? That's all they have time for, isn't it? Oh, they have plenty of time. Suppose I was doing a rumba, and I just barely got my hip out of joint when the minute was up. <laughs> Would it cost me another 12 cents to get my hip back in shape again? No, we'd wait until you got it back, sir. We're very considerate. 
Well, how about the $4 I'd have to give to the chiropractor? I guess you'd have to worry about that in your case. I'd, I'd have to pay that myself. Yes. Why your dance is only a minute long? Well, we can give the people more for the money and give them more dancing. <laughs> That's a fairly shifty answer there. I'm, I'm a Scotsman. You get a faster turnover, is that it? Faster turnover, is it? Yes. They must turn over like a propeller on your plane. <laughs> what are your customers like in this squirrel cage that you operate? We have lo- uh, merchants and doctors, lawyers, truck drivers, and uh, all people from all walks of life. Policemen, too. I yeah, policemen and firemen. Ordinary people. Ordinary people that you find just like you and me. <laughs> Well, you won't find anybody more ordinary than I am. <laughs> Although I've never been a policeman. Now, do these people pop in just to dance for one minute? Why do they come in there? Uh, they come in because they're lonesome, and they come in probably for a minute out of curiosity, but uh, they stay the whole evening, and uh, back next night, the first moment you open the doors, they're back again. Well, do they usually pick out one specific girl and tie uh, Some have one girl, some have three or four girls they'll dance with in the evening, and uh, others they dance with the whole number all the way down the line. Mm-hmm. And why do they, uh, some of them don't dance at all, I presume, huh? Some come in and uh, sit around night after night and all they do is dance the free dancers. <laughs> what night are the free dancers? <laughs> what do they talk about, the ones that don't dance? Have oh, you any they talk about uh, general subjects, uh, not uh, what you think. How do you know what I'm thinking? <laughs> My guess is that would be talking about the price of coffee or something yeah. interesting like that, huh? Do the, uh, any of these victims ever marry the girls? Frequently they do. We have had some very happy marriages. Uh, very do happy. they come back after that and dance there? Uh, yes. They come in and visit with us and bring their husbands in, and uh, one girl brought in six children for night. Steps up like this. Did you have to buy a ticket for each one? No, as long as old employees, we welcome them in. We're very glad to see them come back. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing a nice job down there. How many fights do you have to stop in a night on an average? Uh, since I've been Rose, Rose Land for the last 20 years, we've never had a fight in the place. Now, what but, do they do, go out in the alley and slug each other? <laughs> I worked in a place one time where we had to close on Sundays to pump the blood out of the cellar. <laughs> You don't happen to remember what they did with the old blood, do you? I think they painted the, uh, the ceiling of a theater with it. Oh, I see. <clears throat> well, uh, let's get back to you, Bookie. Quick, uh, what? how much is one and one? Two. <laughs> Sorry, the answer is 14. I was thinking one and one rabbits. <laughs> Bookie, you're fired. Huh? <laughs> well, you two make an extremely interesting couple, and uh, we're happy to have you with us tonight. You're both experts on figures. Now, in just one minute... You're going to try for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question. Just a week ago, the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America introduced the brilliant new DeSoto, the finest car that has ever borne the name DeSoto. It's a completely new model from bumper to bumper. From its beautiful new front grille to its wider rear end, Here is the car that is styled for comfort as well as beauty. 
every detail from DeSoto's rear window, which was made bigger and lower to provide greater visibility, to its smartly styled new steering wheel, from its bigger, softer pedal action brakes, to its beautiful new fenders that permit easier changing of tires, here truly is a new car in every sense of the word. A car bringing you richness of line that your family will boast of for many months to come. Economy of operation that your pocketbook will appreciate. Drive this great new DeSoto just once, and you'll thrill to it as thousands already have. Your DeSoto Plymouth dealer will arrange to have you drive it at your convenience. save a bookkeeper and a bouncer will get the chance at the $1,000. Fenneman, tell them the rules of you bet your life. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous dates in United States history as your category. Okay? That's right, sir. All right. Here's your first question. You have $20. How much will you bet? Oh, $3. Oh, no, no, let's make it Here's a ten. Here's a foul level here, a racetrack, huh? Uh, he said make it 10. Make it 10. Is that okay make with you, Make it 10 is fine. Okay, now, we don't want any arguments. What happened on October 12, 1492? Columbus discovered America. You said it right on the nose, Bill. And we're off to a great start, Groucher, with $30. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of the $30 will you bet? 20 not $20, no. Uh, I have to buy my wife a pair of shoes. Uh, make it 15 Make it $20, and all right. Well, you're easily convinced there. Uh, yes. What happened on December the 7th, 1941? That's a Pearl Harbor. Uh... That's right. Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. They're climbing. They have $50. You're climbing. You got 50 smackers. Here's your third question. How much of the 50 are you going to go for? 40. Uh, well, we take, uh, this time we'll plunge a little. <coughs> we bet $35. Oh, you're going to bet $35. Okay, all right. What happened? What happened September 2nd, 1945? 1945? Huh? Was it VJ Day? VJ Day? Do you agree with that? Yes, you agree I do. With that? Well, that's right. <laughs> Now they have $85, Groucho. Well, your wife has got shoes now. She might even have she stockings out of this. Now you got $85. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 85 will you risk? Let's try $75. $75. What far-reaching event happened on October 24th, 1929? The uh, crash. The crash is right. And they wind up with a grand total of $160. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, don't run away. You still might be high tonight and get a crack at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still spoon. I know that, George. Perhaps our next couple will say it, too. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a chiropodist, Dr. Theodore Dale, and his partner is a housewife, Mrs. Sue Prosen. And here they are, folks. Meet Groucho Marx. I can't meet him until they come out. Huh? 
All right, welcome, kids. Uh, welcome to You Bet Your Life. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 instantly. It's a common word, something you find around the house. A uh, caropodist and a housewife, eh? Uh, Mrs. Sue uh, Proson? Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Where are you from, Sue? Boston. Boston? Mm-hmm. What is your, uh, what part of Boston? I don't know. I left when I was too young. How old were you when you left? About a year old. How long ago was it? Thirty years ago. <laughs> you must be around 30 years old. Only <laughs> till tomorrow. Tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. And what is your, you are you married? Yes. What does your husband do for a living? Building contractor. Building? What, what does he build? Houses. What stores. kind of houses? Good ones. Good ones? And big ones? Little ones? Anything they can afford. Anything he can afford? Then? They can afford. Oh, where, where is this? Where is he building? All over Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doc, uh, Doc uh, Dale, is that the way? That's correct. What kind of a name is that? Is that Swiss? Uh, well, it's leftover Piccadilly. <laughs> I had some leftover Piccadilly tonight. <laughs> that isn't my name. What, what do you mean, leftover Piccadilly? It's well, English? Way back, the family's name was Piccadilly, and this was left of it. Well, I don't see how you got that reduced to Well, that. I don't see it either. No. Well, you can't because it's in front of you, but I can't. <laughs> Where, where are you from, Doc? Right down to Beach, California. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get hit by one of those comas down there? Oh, no. Are you, are you married? Oh, yes. You get hit by other things. <laughs> what, what is a chiropodist? Is that anything like a Rotarian? No. A chiropodist is a doctor who treats the feet, ankles, and the calf. Well, how do you treat a calf? You buy him a... B- <laughs> I mean, do you buy him a bale of hay or... A- oh, no. Among other things, we massage. You massage a calf? And- uh-huh. Must be a great treat for the calf. <laughs> you're, a, you're a foot doctor, eh? That's right. Uh, how long is a foot doctor? Oh, about 12 inches sometimes. <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Proson, uh, how, do, how did you meet your husband? My mother wanted to borrow a hammer. You met him where? My mother wanted to borrow a hammer. Your mother went to borrow a hammer? Uh-huh. Yes. And she borrowed it from a friend, and uh, he had a son, only I didn't know he had a son. Who had a son? The hammer? No, 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 it's very simple, really. The friend had a hammer. I mean, the friend had a hammer, and he had a son also. Was it a claw hammer, or...? (laughs) Gee, I don't know. Is there a difference? Of course, there's all kinds of hammers. Now, uh, what happened? Uh, Your mother needed a hammer, and she sent you over to get the hammer? No, she called up her friend and said, please... Loaned me a hammer and... And that's how you nailed him? Yes. <laughs> he came over and brought the hammer and I wanted to get a dog. And when What's I... That? I wanted to get a dog and when Instead I saw... Instead of that, a hammer, you mean? Well, she wanted the hammer. I didn't. Oh. But when I saw this guy drive up and he didn't have a very nice car and I thought, well, I could ask him to take me for the dog because my boyfriend had a new car and I couldn't ask him to take me for the dog. Why? Because he wouldn't let a puppy in his car at my quest. So, um, I asked this fellow if he'd take me to get to the puppy, and he did. And on the way home, he said, if you married me, you could have me and the dog. And I said, well, for the dog's sake, I'd think about it. Well, when we got home, the landlady met us at the apartment, and she said, you can't have a dog here. Just a hammer, huh? <laughs> so, very simple, really. He took the dog home with him. And then the next day, I saw him quite accidentally. I was on my way to school. And he on the al- way to school? Yeah, I was going to school then. Oh. 
And uh, he asked me if I, what I was taking. I said, I was studying economics. And he said, well, can you figure out budgets? And I said, oh, sure. He said, well, can you figure a budget for me? Sure, I could figure a budget. So I did. He said, could two people live on there? So I could figure it again so they could. Pretty cagey level, wasn't he, huh? <laughs> oh, he's very clever. It's a very romantic approach. <laughs> he's kind of cute, though. And then when did, he, when did he say he loved you? Huh? Well, then... This was I'm... after you settled the budget? Then... <laughs> well, a little bit after that, yes. Mm-hmm. He said, well, can two live on that budget? And I said, yes. He said, well, then why don't we? So I said, you kidding? He says, I don't think so. And I said, well, okay, but it took the family two months to arrange the wedding. You were pretty impatient, huh? Yes. <laughs> Had no place to put the dog, I suppose. No, I didn't want it. But we didn't get the dog. It got lost. Tell me, I want to ask you one question. What happened to this special meal that you were going with? Huh? This brand new car that uh, wouldn't let any livestock in it. Uh, what happened to him? Huh? He still got the car. Huh? He still got the car. He still got the car, and that's yeah. all, huh? Mm-hmm. And you've got a hammer and a dog and a husband. And a cat, huh? No dog. No just dog. a cat. You now you got a cat? <laughs> a very lovely one. Kids too. Yes, children. And only one cat, huh? <laughs> you ought to try to get another cat, huh? <laughs> Either that or do away with one of the kids. Huh? One cat is not enough to go around for two children. Oh, yes, they need to pull. The b- big cat? Well, it's a very romantic story you're talking about. <laughs> Doc, how did you meet your wife? Did you have a hammer in your hand at the time? Uh, oh, no, but I had a... Uh... Was she going around with some foot pad and you rubbed her out? <laughs> what happened? Well, she... I was... Uh, as a student, I I'll was... I'll call you Pick-a-Lily, huh? Pick-a-Dilly. Pick-a-Dilly, huh? Uh, I picked a dilly one night. <laughs> one of the worst times I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Well, anyway. I was a student. And, uh, you were a student where? A student. A student? At the foot clinics of New York, and my wife was a patient. And uh, she was kind of cute at the time. And, uh... <laughs> and, uh... He'll, he'll appreciate the way you qualified that compliment. Huh? <laughs> He'd just be crazy about that. <laughs> well, she had, uh... uh she looked kind of nice, and I... Uh, was playing basketball the next day and asked if she cared to come along, and of course she assented. She well, was in the hospital. No, <laughs> this was a this was a clinic. People come in and walk out. Oh, and uh, they hope. <laughs> well, I uh, I suggested that uh, being that she had so much trouble with her feet, she has been having trouble with her toe for several years. And I suggested that... Did you write her any footnotes? Or no, no. No. And out of that time... Well, I, uh, up to this time, you'd just seen her feet, is that right? That's right. <laughs> you took pot luck with the rest of it, I suppose. <laughs> you two have two of the most romantic stories I've ever heard. Pussycat and an old car and a, and a foot doctor. Go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to Well, I, I suggested casually, quite seriously, that uh, it might be easier for her and financially, uh, a lot easier if she'd marry a chiropodist. Well, I'd, I 
I saw her a couple of times, and then about a year later, I met her again casually, and... Uh, was she back at the clinic? Uh, no, no. She's on a... I was on a Fifth Avenue bus, and she was walking by the Empire. No, it was just on a block from where the Empire State Building is. I got off the bus and said hello, and... Were you going to get off there anyhow, or are you just uh, no, crazed with uh, this... Uh... Desire to look at her toe again. <laughs> You were just too happy in those days. Quite sure. Instead of too happy, you were too happy. Well, anyway. Well, we went out from there, and I... Uh, what do you mean you went out from there? Well, seeing each other, the suggestion that I made that she married Caropodus carried on until this day. How long have you been married? Uh, Thirteen and a half years. Worked out very well, huh? Well, sure did. Maybe that's the way it should be. Most fellas, they go around looking at a girl's face, you know. Maybe should they examine their feet, because they're... In most cases, their feet are not made up. You know what you're getting, anyway. Now, tell me, Hotfoot, how did you, uh... How did you happen to become a chiropodist? Were you at the foot of your class in school, or...? Well, uh... Well, I started the foot and thought that this profession might work, work my way up. You were eventually going to become a dentist? Is that <laughs> become successful. Oh, I see. I don't hear very well, you know. Sometimes I get confused. Well, what kind of feet do you treat? Uh, Any kind. Any kind of feet? I wish you'd come over to my house. My piano is getting pigeon-toed. <laughs> Well, what's the chief reason that people come to your office? Their feet hurt. You ask a silly question, you get a silly answer. You mean people have trouble with their dogs, is that it? That's right. And you take care of their dogs? I sure do. Well, then actually, you're a veterinarian, huh? <laughs> no, I'm a corrupt. What's the matter, dog? Didn't you like that joke? Oh, I thought, well, it's corny. What was that? Corny. Corny, corny joke. Well, you ought to know. You're an expert on corns. <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Proson, you pussycat lover, you. Uh, do you have any trouble with your dogs? No dogs, just cats. I know if I talk to a chiropodist, sooner or later I'd put my foot in it. One I mean, do your, do your feet give you any trouble? Well, they did when I was little. They had to lengthen them. My legs, not my feet. They lengthen your legs? Uh-huh. Yes, really. Uh, what, what was the matter? The tendons didn't grow, so they had to lengthen them so that I would get a little taller. Well, how did they know how tall you were going to be? Huh? <laughs> they were groping. They were groping, did you say? <laughs> I think so. Do you have any uh, corns or bunions or any kind of uh, foot swelling or any kind? No. Not, nothing at all. Now, what about you, Arch of Triumph? That's you. Uh, <laughs> what uh, What should she do for her feet? Suppose she had some trouble with her feet. This is purely a hypothetical question, of course, because the girl's feet are obviously paper. Well, I can't tell unless I examine them, but uh, she might rest them. Can you walk in your hands, Mrs. Brogan? <laughs> well, what, what do you think is the chief source of her trouble if she had to put, let's say, she had arch trouble or something? Well, I wouldn't know, but the average woman wears her shoes too short. Well, don't they have holes in the front that poke their toes through? <laughs> Doesn't that help, huh? 
Why do women wear shoes that don't fit? Well, I think the vanity gets the best of them. You mean the smart and, woman's uh, smart woman's brains are in her feet, huh? Yeah, and they wearing the high heels, they go out of plumb, the posture. Goes mm -hmm. out of plumb. What do you mean out of plumb? Well, uh, uh normal posture to be uh, uh to be well, considered well. Uh, we were well, do you put the calf to posture, I mean, if there's some trouble? <laughs> I mean, if there's trouble with the calf. Well, that would be part of being out of plumb. I see. And otherwise, they go plumb crazy, is that right? <laughs> I went plumb crazy last summer one day. I ate 27 plums. <laughs> What are the most common uh, foot ailments? Well, the most common we'd see would be uh, Helome Male, Helome Durham, and Halifax. Hello, my Male, yeah? <laughs> hello, my Male, hello, my daddy. Why, Joseph Howard sang that, and I wonder who's kissing her now, huh? You mean that's a foot disease? Male, huh? Well, I learned something every night here, huh? Why do so many people have foot trouble? Well, uh,. So many people have foot trouble because uh, uh, a lot of it's traced back to childhood. Now in schools, and uh, they'll examine everything about a child but the feet. And very uh, few parents will take the trouble to take their children to to uh, have their feet examined. We find that 60% of children have foot trouble. Is this just teenage... a plug for your racket, or are you actually on the square with this? Huh? Yes, I'm on the square with it. You look like a fairly obvious, honest man. You get many jobs straightening out bow legs? Oh, really? Well, that could be fun, though. It might. <laughs> well, as far as you're concerned, bow legs are few and far between, huh? <laughs> now, Doc, let, let's talk about men for a, minute, for a moment. They uh, they don't wear high heels, and they have foot troubles. Uh, how come? Well, if they wore shoes that were big enough like policemen do. So all they need just wearing big enough? I wore policemen's shoes. They'd pinch my feet. <laughs> what does Holy Malay mean, or whatever? Well, what'd you call it, huh? Hello, Mamali. That's something. Hello, Mamali. <laughs> right back where I started from. Isn't that an, an island in the Pacific? Huh? No, it's a small, soft corn between the tattoos. How oh, gross. <laughs> How long did you say you've been a veterinarian then? Well, not a veterinarian. I'm a therapist. This is my 20th year at it. Can you tell anything uh, about a person just by looking at his feet? Hardly. Can't you even tell if he's got a bunion? <laughs> I saw it. You ever run into any unusual situations, Doc? Well, the other day, a woman came in with one shoe. Only took one shoe and stocking off, and I suggested she take the other one. She said, oh, my gosh, I didn't think you want to look at the other one. I only washed one. <laughs> and you say you've been at this for 20 years? <laughs> what fortitude, huh? <laughs> I've often wondered, is, is walking barefoot beneficial to the... Uh, Person, well, if everybody walked barefooted, most of the time half the foot troubles would disappear. And so would half the shoe stores. <laughs> this time you can see enough heels without exposing the feet. <laughs> so why is going barefoot beneficial, Doc? 
Well, it gives an opportunity for all the structures of feet to be to uh, work without constriction, restriction, and being bound up. What about people that have bad arches? Should they walk around in bad feet, too? Does that well, that would help in a proper attitude. They go to their foot doctor, and he can advise them what to do. Oh, now you're, now you're kind of quibbling, aren't you? <laughs> Indians have flat feet, don't they? And they walk around in their bad feet. Not all of them. Certain tribes do. Say certain tribes? What kind? Which tribes? You know? Well, I haven't, haven't done research on that. It's just that... Well, besides wearing shoes that don't fit, why do most people have uh, foot trouble? Because of childhood? They're neglect? They're... Well... They're... Are people on their feet more nowadays than they formerly were? Well, they still... A lot of people wear improper shoes. They don't uh, separate. What about the body? Do you consider it a good piece of construction uh, from well, an engineering uh, standpoint? Well, <laughs> the body is... Uh, really, the human body was originally planned according to the position of the... Uh, structure of the bones and the arch structure of the feet and the way the pelvis are built, the human body is really being constructed to walk, walk on, not on two feet, on possibly four. Or we look two. great all walking around <laughs> on our hands and knees all day. Imagine crossing the street and against the traffic and your hands and knees. <laughs> people, he wants people to walk on four legs. I suspected you were a veterinarian. Huh? <laughs> Suppose if I had a broken leg, you'd want to shoot me. Huh? <laughs> Now, come clean, Doc, confess. Just what, what business are you in? <laughs> Still a crap of it. Now, uh, actually, animals have little or no foot trouble, isn't that true? Well, very few do. What, which animals? Well, the, well the, uh, very few animals. Only the hard-hoofed ha- animals like horses might have foot trouble. Are they Red. the only ones with hard hoofs? No, horses? there's some others. Jackass, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mule train. <laughs> By the way, Doc, my wife's foot uh, hurt quite a bit this morning. Could you suggest anything that might help? Well, if you tell me where it hurts. Well, it hurts in the seat of my pants. That's why. Should... <laughs> I tricked you into that one. <laughs> well, you made a very interesting and instructive team, and we enjoyed having you here. Now, you're going to have a chance to make money hand over foot, Doc. You're going to play your bet your life. All you got to do is run your $20 and the more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question later on. Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you 20 bucks. You selected bowl games. Uh, bowl games. B-O-W-L. That's not the southern pronunciation. I don't want, it's not ball games. Is that clear as your category? Bowl games? Is that uh, all right? Is that all right? Okay. Now you got twenty dollars. How much are you going to try? Ten. Talk right up into the microphones. Because over three hundred people are listening here. <laughs> all right. And what city is the Sugar Bowl game played? Sugar Bowl, New Orleans. In New Orleans is right. <laughs> and we're on the way with thirty dollars, Groucho. See how easy it is. Now you got thirty dollars. Remember, you're going for a thousand dollars tonight. Now, how much of the thirty are you going to risk? Talk right 20. into those microphones. Twenty. Twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. Do you discuss this uh, together? Yes. Where is the Orange Bowl game play? Miami, Florida. Miami is right. <laughs> now they have $50. Now you got 50 Here's your third question. How much of the 50 are you going to try? 30 $30. In what city is the Shrine East-West game play? San Francisco. San Francisco is on the nose. <laughs> They're climbing now. They have $80. All right. You're steaming right ahead now. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 80 are you going to risk? Talk up, talk right up, into the microphone. She wants to bet 60. She wants to bet 60, and how much do you want to bet? I'd rather bet, I'd rather bet the whole lady. You would, huh? 
Okay. It's you want to go whole hog? It's his brain. I don't want to influence you now. No. Okay. You're going for $80. This is your last chance to beat the other couples. In what island city is the pineapple bowl play? In uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. Honolulu is right. <laughs> and they wind up with $160. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, pretty soon, we're going to know who's going to end the chance at the $1,000 question. George, who's ahead so far? Well, nobody's ahead so far. Nobody's ahead so far. What kind of an answer is that? Both the first couples have $160. You mean they're neck and neck? They're neck and neck. Well, let's hope they don't do any neck and neck in here, huh? <laughs> and let's not forget that the DeSoto Plymouth secret word is still spoon. Say, Groucho, we have a surprise for you. Our okay. final couple is an Irish war bride and her husband. And here they are. Mr. and Mrs. Wysofsky meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers, youngsters. And if you say the secret word, you win $100 in cash instantly. Ice water in 32, huh? <laughs> Used to be a Swiss bell ringer, this fellow. <laughs> Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers, youngsters. And if you say the secret word, you win $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Cause. Mrs. Uh, Wysowski, uh, you're an Irish bride? Yes. Wysowski, you're one of the Notre Dame Irish. Faith and Begar and Barry Fitzgerald. Uh, sure, and it's a fine thing to be after having you here with us here tonight. Huh? How's my bro? Oh, they don't talk that way where I come from. They also don't talk that way where I come from. <laughs> You're from Ireland? They don't talk like that? Uh, where do they talk like that? Well, I don't think they talk that way anywhere. Well, I must admit, my brogue's a little rusty. <laughs> Last night I had an Irish stew and somebody dropped a hot tamale in it. <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe Wysowski, huh? That's right. Uh, what, um, what sort of work do you do, Joe? I'm a mechanic with pocket aircraft. Lockheed aircraft? What do you work on? Constellations. I mean, what part of the... Well, aerostructures. Structure part of the aircraft. Any good? Oh, it's the most nice airplane in the world. What part of island are you from, Joe? Kiwani. Kiwani, Illinois? That's correct. <laughs> is that near the Kalani Lakes or uh, it's near the Great Lakes, isn't it? It's, yes, near Lake Michigan, not about 135 miles. Not near Dublin, though. No, no, very not. And what part of Ireland are you from, uh, Phyllis? Belfast, yes. You're from where? Belfast. Belfast. What's your hometown like? Oh, it's not too big and it's not too small and... As far as tram ride would take you out of the time. Take and you where? Take you out of the time. Take you out of the town? Yeah. Is that what you're after? <laughs> <laughs> How big is the population of the South oh, About the size of Peoria, I suppose. You measure everything by Peoria? <laughs> <laughs> I once worked for a brewery that had a place in Peoria. 
one of the more unpleasant parts of my life that I don't care to discuss here. <laughs> I was fired shortly after they saw me in the brewery. Huh? Are, are you working, Phyllis? Yes. Where, where do you work? I work at um, Adel Precision Products Corporation. Is that uh, part of the uh, parts for the airplane? Yes. Hydraulic valves, they make. Hydraulic, that's very romantic. <laughs> How long have you been working there? Oh, about two years. Mm -hmm. Well, before you married uh, Uncle Sam here, what sort of work did you do in Belfast? I was a stenographer for Lockheed. <laughs> How long since you've been in Belfast? Um, about five years. You have no discernible uh, rogue at all, do you? Well, we don't talk the same way as they do in the side. In the south of Ireland? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are you still as crazy about the south of Ireland as they always were over there? In the north and south? Well, yes. They like each other now? Well, yes, uh-huh. No hoedowns there or anything? <laughs> Slug each other with shillelaghs? <laughs> Do you have any little Irish males at home? No, I haven't. Have you? How long have you been an Irish war bride, Phyllis? Well, we were married uh, the day after St. Patrick's Day in 1945. Did you pick that day out particularly, or was it just a coincidence? Well, I wanted to be married on St. Patrick's Day, but that was on a Saturday, so I'm superstitious about that. So we made it Sunday. You wouldn't have considered young Kipper, huh? <laughs> Joe, Joe, me lad, uh, how long have you been married? I got married when Phyllis did. <laughs> what were you doing in Ireland then? Well, I was an aircraft mechanic for Lockheed. In Ireland? Yes. They had a factory over there? No, we had a reassembly division there. Mm -hmm. Well, Mavorny, give me all the details. How did, exactly did you meet uh, Joe? Well, uh, I was walking across the hangar and... I suppose he saw me because he gave me an introduction. So, uh, however, I didn't go out with him right away. I kept yeah. him waiting about a week. <laughs> Where did he wait? In the hangar all the time? <laughs> you kept him hanging uh, fire, is that it? Uh? Well, I tried to. <laughs> and then what? What happened? Well, uh, finally my boss said, well, you better go out with this fellow because he's holding up the line here. I can't get any business done. <laughs> is that true, Joe? That's right. You couldn't uh, get your mind back on these assembly jobs, huh? I'm afraid not. This was the job you were interested in. <laughs> were you married in Ireland or in America? I was married in the United States. Why? Why did you pick a America? If you oh, were uh, going the, together uh, in Ireland. No, Lockheed's contract with the United States government terminated, and we returned to the United States, and then I sent for Phyllis. And uh, did Phyllis, did you encounter any red tape when you entered the United States? Uh, no, no. I just had to have the usual uh, paperwork that Joe could support me and wanted me to come here and that he would marry me when I got here. Were you were you nervous? I mean, uh, oh, I was nervous when I was coming here. I mean, about whether the, he was going to support you or not. <laughs> you know, he well, was going to marry you, sure. but you weren't sure whether he was going to support you. Is that it? That's right. <laughs> When you were courting Phyllis over in Ireland, uh, where did where did you take her, Joe? 
Oh, we went for an occasional walk to the show once in a while. Well, now that you're an old married couple, where do you take her now for excitement? I think that's the look that won her, huh? That was a real Barry Fitzgerald look, wasn't it? Where do you take it now that you're married, Joe? Don't sneak out of this. I want an answer. Well, we still go for the occasional walk in the show once in a while. Say, you, you're in a rut, aren't you? Aren't you aware of the fact that the war is over? Have you ever kissed the Blarney Stone, Phyllis? No, that's in the south. That's in the south. How do you say that? Let me hear you say south. South. <laughs> well, since you never kissed the Blarney Stone, would you tell me how old you are? Twenty-seven. Are you sure you haven't kissed the Blarney Stone? <laughs> how old are you, Joe? I'm thirty-five. Phyllis, how old do you think I am? And uh, no flattery. Oh, I'd say about forty. <laughs> Are you sure there's no Blarney Stone in the north of Ireland? <laughs> if you were a pinball machine right now, you'd light up and say tilt. <laughs> Joe, you, you look a little more practical. How old do you think I am? Oh, I'd say you're going on 50. I'm going on penicillin. <laughs> I grow my own, too. I scrape it off old moldy jokes. <laughs> well, you each made a pretty close guess. Forty and fifty, that's ninety. That's about right. <laughs> Joe, has anything embarrassing ever happened to you? No, not that I can say. Uh-huh. Well, Phyllis, as a war bride, what's been the most unusual experience you've had? Well, I have been asked if the pigs sleep under the bed in Ireland. The pigs sleep where? In the beds? Under the bed. Onto the bed. Under the bed, Narrow. What do you mean? You tie him on the back? <laughs> under. Oh, under the bed, huh? Yes. Do any pigs sleep under the bed in Ireland? Yes. They do. Yes, they pets. They sleep in the bed. We sleep under the bed. Oh. Well, they just go whole hog over there. <laughs> no pig ever slept under my bed. <laughs> I don't even allow them in the house. <laughs> How does the life of a housewife here compare with that of a housewife in Ireland? Oh, it's much easier here. In what have, way? Well, you have uh, your auto- automatic washing machine and your toasters and coffee makers. And at home, you have to do all that by hand. I mean, the pig besides. <laughs> Do you have any particular dislikes about uh, this country? Uh, you can oh. speak frankly. Nobody's listening. <laughs> no, I think it's wonderful. Nothing? Everything satisfies you? Yes. Yeah. It's nice to hear that. Do you like our cozy little supermarkets? Yes. Their prices are a little bit high, though. But you don't dislike anything over here, right? How do you like our modern homes? Cute little rooms and great big mortgages. <laughs> Well, the price that you pay for an apartment here, you get a castle in Ireland for it. But you don't dislike anything. <laughs> How about you, Joe? Do you agree with her uh, complaint? Yes, I do. Well, let's see what you know about prices. Coffee, for example, has gone up. How much do you pay for coffee, Joe? Well, we used to be able to get 
for a cup of coffee for a nickel, but now it costs a dime. You got a pretty good business there, Phyllis. How much are you charging for the second cup? <laughs> now, before you met uh, Joe here, how many nice Irish bucks were you engaged to, Phyllis? None. Why not an attractive Colleen like you? I was too young. How old were you when you met the... Uh, you met the uh, Joe? Oh, by 24. <laughs> well, you aged overnight then. <laughs> In Ireland, the girls don't get engaged, I suppose, until they're around 23, 24. That's right. And how, how long do the engagements usually last? Oh, about three or four years. Takes four years for a boy and girl to get acquainted in Ireland? It's obvious they don't have drive-in theaters over there. <laughs> over here, they have ten-minute intermissions at the drive-in so the kids can get married. <laughs> well, this has been inspiring having you here tonight. Aaron O'Brien, as we seltz always say. Now, you're going to play the DeSoto Plymouth game, you bet your life. If you beat our other two couples, you'll get a crack at the $1,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected capitals of states as your category. Is that correct? That's right. All right. You've got $20. How much are you going to try? How much are you going to bet? Ten. Ten dollars. What is the capital city of Colorado? Denver. Denver is correct. <laughs> and they're on their way with $30, Groucho. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to try? Talk right up, Joe. You're out of that hanger now. Talk right up. Twenty. Twenty dollars. Okay. What is the capital city of Nebraska? Lincoln. Lincoln is correct. <laughs> They're climbing. They have fifty dollars. All right, you got fifty dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the fifty are you going to risk? Forty. Forty dollars. What is the capital city of Virginia? Richmond. Richmond is right. <laughs> They have $90. Well, you're zooming along. You got $90. How much are you going to try? We'll try 80 You're going to try $80. Okay. What is the capital city of New York? Albany. Albany is right. And they wind up with $170. And that means that the Irish couple get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question. It's new. It's beautifully new. It's packed with value and ready to prove it. Yes, that's the beautiful new Plymouth. Now, more than ever, the car that likes to be compared. Drive it. Give it the toughest test you can think of, uphill and through traffic. Let your DeSoto Plymouth dealer arrange a demonstration ride tomorrow. Then compare. Compare the value of this beautifully new Plymouth with that in other leading low-priced cars. Check the convenience of Plymouth's ignition key starting the lively power of a high-compression engine, the soft velvet stops of Safeguard hydraulic brakes, the protection of safety rim wheels, and many other exclusive Plymouth features. Yes, check and compare. For beauty, for room, for riding comfort. Now, more than ever, the new Plymouth is the car that likes to be compared. The car that's packed with value and ready to prove it. This beautiful new Plymouth, the American beauty, is on display at all authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealers. 
here's the Irish war bride and her husband, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question, Groucho. All right, here we go for $1,000. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on one single answer between you, so think carefully and please, no help from the audience. Here it is. The Star Spangled Banner was written in 1814 and became our official national anthem in 1931. Before the Star Spangled Banner was written, what song was considered the national anthem of the United States? Okay, what's the answer you two have decided upon? Freda can't answer. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The correct answer is Hail Columbia. So that means the big question next week will be worth $1,500. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $170 in the quiz. Plus $100 for saying the secret word, no? Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Blonde and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life. Presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week's big question will be worth $1,500. Well, it's time for Bing Crosby, so good night, folks, and remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. It's good to be on time, but it's better to be safe. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.